The Boston College School of Theology and Ministry is an international theological center that serves the Church's mission in the world as part of a Jesuit Catholic university. Sign up for a webinar at bc.edu stm to learn about its graduate programs and generous financial aid. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we're looking at Pope Francis and the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. They operate in very different ways, so we'll talk about that difference and if anything could change. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from Rome, Colleen, and we've got some rain here, which is quite unusual. We have rain here, which is completely normal. (laughs) So today on our show, we're going to cover two stories that broke on the same day. Uh, This was September 17th. We learned that Pope Francis met with a group of parents, very briefly, whose children identify as LGBT, as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. And he told them, God loves your children as they are, and the church loves your children as they are because they are children of God. And that same day, we also learned that the Vatican's doctrine office, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, or the CDF, had told a well-known Irish redemptorist priest, Tony Flannery, that he had to sign a document affirming church teaching on four hot topic issues like homosexuality and women's ordination before he would be allowed to return to ministry. Um, We'll explain a little bit more about each of those stories in a second. And we should say, you know, there's no doctrinal opposition, right, between these two stories. The church teaches that, quote, homosexual practices are not permitted, but that gay people are still loved by God. But the two stories do point to this this opposition that I want us to get into between the pastoral way that Francis operates and the CDF's more kind of punitive actions. So today, let's talk about the tension between those. First off, though, let's recap each story. The first one is Pope Francis briefly spoke with this group of 40 parents of LGBT children. He ran into them after his public audience last Wednesday. Can you tell me about this this group of parents? Who are they? Well, there there are about 40 parents. They belong to a group in the north of Italy. They were separate groups belong to different parishes. And the vice president of the group, she was a woman who discovered that her son at the age of 25, that was 15 years ago, was homosexual. And she said she was distraught because I had heard from the church that basically he would be excluded. And uh, she then went to a meeting and there it was a meeting on this, discussing a law in the parliament on homophobia. And she went to this, and there was a prayer vigil. And there she met uh, a lot of other people in a similar situation like herself, parents who had children who were gay. And uh, these other groups had been inspired by a priest, now dead, who had suggested they come together and they'd formed a group called Jonathan's Tent. And uh, when she started talking to them, she she discovered that they weren't as dismayed by the whole thing as she was, that uh, they had found through this priest a better understanding that, in fact, uh, because you're gay does not mean you're excluded from the church or 
from the Christian way of life. Mm -hmm. So she began to learn a little more, and she began to then look at her own son in a very different way. And they all discovered they had all had similar problems with the church. The church was tending to exclude them, and some of their sons and daughters had moved away from the church. So they uh, began to form this group together, and uh, they came to meet uh, Pope Francis. I don't know how the meeting was organized, but after the audience last week, last Wednesday, he met them as a group, and uh, they presented him with a little book which contained their various experiences with the church. And they told him, she told him the whole story. And he told them exactly what you said at the beginning. You know, God loves your children as they are. And the church loves your children as they are, because they are children of God. He said, the Pope loves your children as they are. And uh, the woman said afterwards that she was so comforted and reaffirmed in her faith by this. And it's very interesting, Colleen. I, I wrote this story and I published it in America. And I have had several feedbacks from people who'd read the story. And I remember the first one I got was the woman said to me, thank you for this story. Pope Francis has renewed my faith in the church. I have recovered my faith thanks to Francis. Wow. It's good to, to get this kind of reaction. Oh, yeah, Definitely. You know, on the other hand, I was seeing some folks who are concerned with the way that LGBT people are treated in the church, and they said, you know, it it seems almost dishonest for the Pope to say that that the church loves your children because in action, that, that often doesn't play out. Often they still are excluded. Um, and so I think there is a difference here between, you know, maybe maybe the practice everywhere and and the message that the Pope delivered. Well, there's two things here. First of all, there's a church's teaching, but, but there's also the, the pastoral approach. And the pastoral approach comes from the Pope himself. He's explaining that we can never forget that all these people are children of God. Right. And this gets right at this tension that we wanted to draw out in the story of Tony Flannery as well this week, um, which is that there's this difference between this pastoral approach that the Pope has and the more punitive approach of the CDF. So I was wondering, let's let's maybe pivot to that now um, and talk about this Tony Flannery case. Really basic, first off, um, who is Tony Flannery? Well, Tony Flannery is today a 73-year-old priest in Ireland. He's a member of the Redemptorist Order. He was very, very famous in the country. And what was he famous for? He was famous because, you know, the situation in Ireland, uh, the, the church has suffered, the people's belief has suffered a lot because of the abuse cases. And he was very good at explaining and giving people a new way of looking at the church, a new way of looking at the gospel, a new way of... And he wrote in a magazine called Reality, which was the Redemptorist magazine. He was very much on the television, the radio, and he also founded the Association of Irish Priests. When this story broke last week, I went back and I discovered that I'd written an article on him way back in 2012. This was when Benedict was Pope and when he was first suspended from the ministry. What prompted that? At that stage, it was over the question of 
he was saying that uh, we should consider the ordination of women as priests. There was also the question of uh, contraception. And uh, so he was suspended. So from that day, May 2012, until now, he's only celebrated a public mass once, and that was on his 70th birthday. But he's been a great admirer of Pope Francis, and so in his writings and such like, he comes out and says, you know, Pope Francis is really changing things. Right. And it was that change that gave the Redemptress some hope that this suspension, which was placed uh, when Benedict was Pope, could be lifted. They thought that the climate in Rome had had changed enough that perhaps now it could be lifted. Um, and so the superior of the Redemptress sent a letter to the CDF asking for the suspension to be lifted. And uh, then tell me about how they responded. Well, he contacted the CDF, the Congregation of Doctrine of the Faith, and they responded. They said, well, maybe, uh, but you have to sign up to four propositions. They formulated four propositions around the topics that you mentioned at the beginning. One relating to the question of marriage and uh, gay marriage, uh, one requesting to the church's teaching on homosexuality, one on the question of women's ordination, and one on the question of gender theory. And this last one gobsmacked him because he said, uh, I don't even know what gender theory is. I've never spoken on this question. So we don't know where that came from. Then they said, if you sign, I submit to this proposition and this one and this one and this one, then you can return gradually to the ministry in an agreement between the congregation and the Redemptress. And now this is very much like the way that the CDF operated under Benedict and JP too, right? Like, I, I know that you've written the book, written a book uh, on this process uh, and how it pertained to Jacques Dupuis, who was a theologian who was disciplined by the CDF. Um, so has this process changed? I know that we're not like interrogating theologians anymore, but has it changed and, and how does it work? Well, let's go back. In 1978, John Paul II became Pope. And 1979, 1980, there was an investigation of some very big theologians. And there was a lot of protest about it. And so they decided they would rewrite the rules for dealing with theologians. But the, the big problem was this new system was quite impersonal. So let me give the example which is the case of Jacques Dupuis, the pioneering Jesuit theologian who died uh, in 2004, I think. He was the one who wrote about uh, religious pluralism, right? That was what got him in trouble? Exactly. Basically, he wrote about the question of, uh, he said, that there is a fact that there are many religions in, in the world. So how do all these religions fit into God's plan for humanity? And they didn't like the answer he was coming up with. The new process that was approved by John Paul II and with the cooperation of Cardinal Ratzinger envisaged this. If a member of a religious order, or it could be a priest in this question of a diocese, if a member of religious order uh, has written something that they consider problematic, what happens? the congregation contacts the superior general of the religious order in Rome, and they convey their problems to him. The superior general then contacts the local provincial, in this case, the provincial in Ireland for Flannery, uh, 
And the provincial then talks with the person under investigation. So at no point are you hearing directly from the CDF if you're this theologian. It all goes through your superiors. Exactly. It's a totally impersonal thing. This is what Father Flannery told me when I communicated with him after the story broke again. He said, in the eight years that I have been dealing with the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, not one official has ever contacted me directly. I have never spoken to any one of them directly. I didn't object to the authorities in the church having a problem with some of my writings. I think authorities are entitled to do that. But what I did object to was the fact that they didn't talk to me and didn't give me a chance to explain my point of view. So it was not the fact of what happened, but the process by which it happened that I objected to. I remember Father Jacques Dupuis telling me this. He said that uh, Cardinal Ratzinger said we were dialoguing with him. And his case was a very big case, much bigger than Flannery's, because it involved cardinals challenging Rome. And he said, uh, Jacques Dupuis said, Cardinal Ratzinger says we're in dialogue with me, but he says, what does dialogue mean? I have never spoken to them in the congregation, and they're not very far away. He was teaching at the Gregorian University. These are two cases, one in the year 2000, one in the year 2020. The Dupuis in the year 2000, Flannery in the year 2020. Very different cases because the issues are different, etc. But the problem is the same. It's the, it's the process. It's the way of dealing. It, it really, for a church that Francis says, you know, you reach out to people, you accompany people, this isn't it. Right. There's this huge discrepancy between what Francis is preaching and the CDF. I, I want to get a better sense of why they seem so out of step with each other. What's what's Francis's involvement in this? Is he signing off on these things? Well, in terms of the Flannery case, there is no indication at all that the Pope was involved in the, in the communication that went to Flannery. There's no evidence. Normally, they say the Pope has, has approved this or this has been communicated to the Pope. This wasn't said. Today at the press conference in the Vatican, my colleague from the National Catholic Reporter, Joshua McElwee, he asked Cardinal Ladaria, the Spanish head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, he asked him, well, you've been dealing with this case of Flannery. Uh, what advice do you give him? And the Cardinal said, well, if we give him advice, we're not going to give it in public, we give it in private. But he said then, he said, but we have been in dialogue, we've been trying hard to dialogue with Father Flannery, but it's not always been easy, but we've tried hard. Now, it's almost a repeat of the words that Cardinal Ratzinger said about Father Dupuis. He said, we've been dialoguing with him. But what they mean by dialoguing is communicating through other people. Right. Because Josh said that he actually spoke to Father Flannery after this press conference, and he said that uh, Flannery said he was left speechless by these comments because he said he's never received a direct communication from the CDF. The point here is that it's the way the process is organized. It's the procedure that is so dehumanizing. I, I saw Father Dupuis really 
so destroyed by the process. I know that previous people have also been destroyed by the, the process that is done at the congregation. So let me ask you, how is there able to be such a big discrepancy between the CDF and the Pope's approaches? Well, f- first of all, uh, you've got to distinguish. The, the task of the congregation is not necessarily theological. The task of the congregation, its mandate, its mission, is to elaborate the teaching on the faith, to present it, and to defend it against misinterpretation or uh, wrong uh, presentation. Right. So part of this you're saying is that they simply have different jobs, that Francis's job is to be more pastoral, and the CDF, as you know, the defender of the doctrine of the faith, uh, their, their job is to do this sort of uh, punitive stuff and defense stuff. First of all, when Pope Francis came, he really almost put an end to the interrogation of theologians, as had happened under the previous pontificates. So you don't hear much about theologians being called into question by Rome and then being going through these processes. He preferred that the local church kind of deals with them, basically. But it's a question of the culture. There's a culture in the, in the congregation that has... It's operating according to rules that have been laid down. It's not that they have made the rules. The rules are there already. But what many people are now saying, the rules that are there are really clashing with the kind of culture that Pope Francis is trying to build within the Curia, which is more respectful for people, uh, trying to listen as well, and also giving a certain freedom to people to speak out. It's this kind of change of culture that has happened in many Vatican offices, which hasn't happened in this procedure that's being used by the congregation for the doctrine of the faith. This is why several people, quite senior people, have told me this process has to change. So, you know, when we talk about this change of culture, I know this was a conversation that we had a lot around the abuse summit uh, in February of last year feels like an eternity ago now. Um, But we had this conversation a lot about changing the culture, changing people's hearts versus imposing kind of a structural reform. So I wonder if Francis wanted to undertake a change of culture in the CDF, what would that look like? Would it look like reforming the process? Would it look like something akin to what he did with, with the abuse survivors, changing people's hearts by making the bishops listen to survivors? Would he you know, have the CDF officials listen to theologians who had been disciplined? What would this look like? Yes, I, I think it will have to change the process, the procedures for dealing with this kind of case. It will require other things as well. Uh, it will require perhaps greater transparency in the work they're doing. But I think uh, it will require a rethink. What are we trying to do? What's our goal? Really, uh, how do we do fraternal correction in a way that is coherent with the gospel of Jesus? Do you come with a hammer and say, you know, hit them on the head and say, you know, you're out of the ministry? Or do you get into a dialogue? And I don't mean a dialogue through third and fourth parties, but a personal dialogue. Or do you set up a situation where they can be in a real dialogue and recognize that, you know, we all believe in Jesus. We're trying to follow him. I've got my insight, you've got your insight, but let's see what is coherent with the church. If this process 
is doing is hurting people so much. Can we, as a Christian church, not come up with a different process? Yeah, one that one that looks a lot more like this Francis model of accompanying people, of being in a personal dialogue rather than this impersonal process that you outlined. And something that's more more along the lines of what Francis said to these uh, parents of LGBT kids, right? That God loves your children and that we're going to start from that place rather than starting from a place of, of punishment. So to wrap up, Father Flannery said that he does not plan on signing the CDF's document, and he told you in his interview that he hopes to get on with his life in retirement. He said, quote, What I do not want to do is spend my last years trying to deal with church authorities who have no respect or care for me. Life is too short for that. It's a very sad statement, Colleen. It is. I think when people are calling for a revision of the process, it means that a person shouldn't feel like that at the end. That there must be a more human, more Christian way of dealing with things. And so many people I've spoken to in these days are saying that this really is something that Francis has to help move along in the in the congregation. You can find Jerry's story on Pope Francis's comments to the parents of those LGBT children and his forthcoming story on Father Flannery at americamagazine.org. We should also mention that today is the first day of the UN General Assembly. The Pope is expected to address the Assembly via video this week on Friday, and you can find immediate coverage of that on our website as well. There's also a new Vatican document that came out today, Tuesday the 22nd, on euthanasia and assisted suicide. And you can find our coverage of that also at americamagazine.org. All right, Jerry, it was good to talk to you today, uh, and I look forward to talking with you next week. Thank you, Colleen. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Production assistance this week from Erica Rasmussen. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also email us your questions and comments at insidethevatican at americamedia.org. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time. The Ignatian Legacy Fellows Program is an invitation to imagine the next stage of your life. Look back on your career. Find your purpose. Discover your passion. Deepen your faith. Join this diverse community of seekers and share strategies for handling today's leadership challenges, now forming the second cohort to begin virtually in January 2021. Apply now at luc.edu ilf.